Welcome everyone to week three of the Big Footy Bombercast podcast, uh, home of the undefeated Essendon Bombers. Uh, I'm your regular co-host, The Grizz, and with me is back for his first win of the year, I believe, Bonsa. How are you, Bons? I am back for my first win of the year. Um, I'm, I'm very well, actually. It's It's been a pleasant surprise, I think, to start to. And I, I, I definitely expected us to beat Hawthorne because they are absolutely terrible, <laughs> um, as you no doubt mentioned last week. But the Suns was a little bit of a surprise. And I, I think um, I think Stewie Jew might be under the pump if they don't beat Geelong this week. And, and it's going to be tough for them to beat Geelong. Um, don't get me wrong. But, yeah, I, I think Stewie Jew could be the early favourite for first coach to be sacked for the year. Yeah, it's sort of we'll we'll get to the Gold Coast as part of our review, but you know, I'm surprised I was surprised. I think he's been there six years, not to make finals. They're about the same where they were at the start. I know he had to do a big re- rebuild in twenty eighteen with all those players leaving and that twenty eighteen draft, but yeah, she has been a great start for them. But who cares about the Suns? I'm sure all twenty five of their fans do, but for the bombers it's a two and zero start. A pretty easy sort of run in for the first four games. If we had started zero and two against Hawthorne and the Gold Coast, they'd probably be tearing Tullamarine down from the studs. I suppose the question I'll put to you, Bonta, was what was your big takeaway from the game on Sunday? Well, I think that my main takeaway was one that we've we've said repeatedly, and I think there's quite a few people on the Eston board that have said it repeatedly, and that is Kyle Lankford's best position is a forward. And I get that he's a <laughs> utility and he can play he can play anywhere, but God, he is a great forward when they just let him be a forward. I couldn't agree more. I've been saying, I think, for a couple of years now that he, uh, I think mismatch forwards, and that's what he is. He's a he's a one ninety centimeter. Yeah, marking type that can get up and down the ground. He he gave he gave Charlie Ballard a bath really on the weekend. He should have charged his parents for bathing him like that, to be honest. But yeah, he's such a great kick for gold too. Like he's one of the best field kicks in our team, and his delivery inside fifty at points was fantastic. I think he just gives us a real sort of difference. And I see him really as that sort of Adam Hunter type, that guy that you can swing back, swing wing if you need him to. But he's just so valuable as a forward. You, you really don't want to be moving him out of there too often. No, uh, we saw it last year. When he, when he came back last year after his um, after his injury against Geelong, you know, round one when he was out basically straight away um, mm-hmm. and then came back and he was okay against West Coast in his return game. And then Sydney and Brisbane, he, you know, he kicked those four goals against Brisbane, which they which actually mentioned the weekend because that was his, his previous best. You know, he ended up kicking 10 goals in eight games last year as a, as a forward. So... You know, it, it's sort of it's a little bit of rob, robbing Peter to pay Paul. I think having him anywhere else but the forward line. But but the, the question is obviously, you know, team balance comes into it because unfortunately, when Jake Stringer is back, you can't really play, and Peter Wright is back as well. You can't really play, you know, Peter Wright, Harry Jones, Kyle Langford, Jake Stringer, and a resting mm. Ruckman or, or or any other medium style forward because it's just too big. Because Kyle can run. Absolutely, but he's not a pressure player. So so while he has the tank to get up and down the ground, he's not quick enough to be considered a genuine, you know, chase down forward pressuring player like you know, Devin Smith was or even Archie Perkins is currently. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think there's a difference between 
being mobile for your height, which is what he is, and being genuinely quick and agile, which I'm not sure he qualifies. But I think with, with Peter Wright out and Sam Wiedemann out, he had to go forward. And and that might just be it. He might be that guy that you plant on a wing and we saw him go back against Hawthorne and we go forward as needed. That might be his role, but gee, he just looks so natural there as a forward. Um, Speaking of forwards, um, there's been a bit of conjecture about the performance of a couple of, a couple of hours outside of Kyle Langford. John Mendy played pretty well. Oh, and David Jr. was quiet, but had his moments. And Harry Jones seems to be a man of conjecture between the some people on the board. I'll start with sort of your view. How did you... I think it's probably well known on the board what your thoughts of Harry Jones's game on the weekend was, but I'll give you the floor. Look, look I don't know if it is because I probably haven't posted it a great deal because I've sort of been saving it for the podcast. I know that there's a prominent Essendon poster and I did go head-to-head in a Discord about this earlier today and... Um, I, I did end up saying to him, I think he sort of cracked the sads a little bit because he uh, he didn't like that I was responding to him. He said I was attacking him because uh, but he gave his opinion and then I did, replied and I sort of went, well, you know, it's just replies. But anyway, look, I love Harry Jones. I think he's going to be an absolute great player. But what part of his game was good for you on the weekend? Because he didn't get his hands on the ball. Now, so so can I just – let me just ask this question and, and then I'll respond – is the best part about his game that he took Sam Collins out of the contest? Is is that the argument that that Harry Jones ran fifteen k's and took Sam Collins away from the ball? So I think this isn't like, two things can be true. Like he could like he can have, have he could have played his role, which he did, and still not had you know the game of his career. Like, yeah, I, but, but what was he? What was his role? So his role was. What, what do you think? His role was the fact that he was constantly our target down the line. Um, We didn't have really any forward targets. You can sort of classify Andrew Phillips as a forward target, although his marking skills would indicate that he's nothing close to that. Um, But he was really really our only target down the line. And you can see that in in the distance he covered. He was working his ass off to get... Um, present options and often jumping two or three against two or three Gold Coast players. And, and Brad Scott put a really interesting comment in his press conference that Harry did his role and other guys got off the chain. And what I think he means by that is, for example, at the end of that first quarter, Harry Jones jumps up, is contested against two or three Gold Coast guys. He pulls down the mark, he turns around, and there are three or four Bomber players streaming forward free because their guys went up in the marking contest. Now, in that circumstance, he bombed it long anyway and she'll kick the goal and it wasn't of consequence. But if that ball hits the deck, you know, we've got the numbers on the deck. And so he's bringing other players into the game by doing that. His stats weren't great. I'm not sitting here going that, you know, he's Wayne Carey 2.0 in terms of his marks and his goals and his um, kicks and all that sort of stuff. But he clearly did what he was required to do from a perspective of, yes, taking Sam Collins out of the game, but also bringing what was going to have to be our strength, which was the ground-level guys, into the game forward to centre by, you know, presenting and presenting and presenting. That's what he did well. Did he, you know, did he have, you know, all-Australian-caliber performance? No, but I don't think anyone's necessarily claiming that either. The, the problem I've got is, 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 okay, if he competed against three or four guys, you know, the instance you've mentioned, and then, look, that was a great grab, and he did very well to move the ball quickly because he knew we had no time left. But then Jai Menzies jumped against four blokes himself down there, and then Shield roved and kicked the goal. So if there's four blokes against Menzies and then there's four blokes against Jones, 
it doesn't add up somewhere because Menzies went up against multiple Gold Coast blokes. They flooded back. And and and, and look, the problem, the biggest problem I've got with the whole he took Sam Collins out of the game, which seems to be the main argument, is Sam Collins had 17 disposals. Now, for Sam Collins, that's his eighth highest ever disposal count. He took 11 marks, which for Sam, Sam Collins is his third highest ever in a game. He also led them for intercept possessions. Sam Collins wasn't taken out of the game. This is this is what I this is what I'm not understanding because the argument is that I've seen so far is Harry Jones. Okay, he didn't get the ball, but he took Sam Collins out of the game. Sam Collins was still their best defender. Yeah, he, he was still in the game, so he didn't take him out of the game at all. And the other problem is he he also was on Charlie Ballard for a little bit. Now you know, as you said, Langford towed up Ballard, and I think they end up having to move Collins across to, to Langford for a bit. But if then we're still playing Harry Jones as this decoy to let the others get off the chain, and he's got Charlie and Ballard on him, honestly, what's he doing? Like, we're not dragging Charlie Ballard out of the game. When nobody is putting a offensive tag, which is essentially what the argument has been, Jones did the offensive tag on Collins and took him out of the game. No one, he, he didn't do that to Ballard. No one's doing that to Ballard. So, so I just have issues with the fact that you know, it, it's great that he ran, and I get that he runs a lot, and I get, I get all that. But if you're running 15 Ks, which is what he ran on the weekend, actually, I think he ran 16 Ks, which is a lot, and you're getting seven touches, you'll run two Ks per disposal. That is a terrible return on effort. And even if he's getting to a contest and making the contest, and look, I actually don't think he got that to as many contests as you do, and, and we'll probably disagree on that, and that's fine. You can't keep playing the bloke at AFL level if he's only getting seven touches a game from 16 Ks. At some point, you have to send him back to the VFL, especially when you've got a player like Patrick Voss, who is 194 centimetres, he's only two centimetres smaller than, than Harry, who from reports in the VFL is ready to go. Why are we playing? Why is Harry being given this free pass when we've got a bloke that can come in and replace him? Because because it's not gonna it's not gonna be any good for Harry's development to run around in the AFL and get a possession every two kilometers that he runs. That's that's horrible for his development and we, we will kill him. He's much better off to go back to the VFL and get 20 touches in a game or two and then come back when he's actually, you know got the um got the leading patterns down and he's got the feel for the ball again because at the moment he's just not there yeah and, and and watch this he'll come out and kick four goals on sad saturday night and prove me wrong 100 percent's going to happen <laughs> uh, we've probably spent too much time on harry jones already but I'll, I'll just say this one is patrick voss played well on the weekend yes but that goal that gws team was horrendous that uh, Harry Jones would have kicked five against him as well. I, I, I don't, I'm not putting a lot of stock in the VFL. I'm not putting a lot of stock in the VFL performance of Voss in the terms of the numbers because that was, I think they had like six or seven AFL listed players in that GWS team. Like it was not a good team. The second part I'll say to that is, I would have to go back and watch the re rewatch the game for a third time or something to, to know how many times Collins intercepted directly off Harry Jones or how many times he zoned off and Harry was somewhere else. In which case, it doesn't really matter because the point of Harry Jones is to draw Collins away from the ball. But I just think it's far too simplistic to look at raw stats for him, raw stats at his opponent, go, yeah, nah, terrible game. I think the forward line functioned as a whole because of what he was doing in terms of his leading pattern. And if the coach, and, and to my eye, that's what it was. And if the coach is of the same opinion, I'm pretty confident that whatever his role was, it was executed at least to a degree that helped the forward line function, which is ultimately the most important part. Yeah, look, I'll just say though, I'm not looking purely at the raw stats here because the problem is, as I said, 
top ten top ten for possessions of all time for for Sam Collins, top ten for marks, and I dare say, and I don't have the same for me, but I dare say it would be top ten for intercept possessions. That's not just an average game from Sam Collins. He played a better game than he normally does. That's why I don't understand this whole theory about Harry Jones has pulled him away. And look, the other thing, and you're right, we've spoken about him a lot, so I'll, I just want to say one more thing. Brad Scott saying he played a role means absolutely nothing to me. But, and, and the reason is the Essendon Football Club this year have one goal with their members and their supporter base, and that is to sell hope. We're not winning the flag. We're not probably not going to make finals, although, you know, 2-0, and if we start 3-0, who knows? Maybe we start booking our September, um, our September trips to Melbourne. But, but the reality is most of us don't think we're going to win the flag, don't think we're going to play finals. The only thing the club has got this year is to sell hope for the future. So Brad Scott was always going to say Harry Jones played his role. He's not going to come out and say that the 23-year-old or 22-year-old, however, Harry, however old Harry is, key position forward, that we're all pinning our hopes on for the future. He's not going to come out and say, oh, no, didn't, didn't play well. He's always going to say he played a role. He's always going to defend him. So... That 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 also just irks me a little bit because people are clinging to that like it's a like it's a life fest. You know, Brad Scott said he played a role. Big fucking deal. Brad Scott yeah. could say he played a role as much as he wants. That doesn't actually mean he did. So anyway. Well, Brad Scott's history is that he's more than happy to clip a player on his team if he thinks he deserves it. So, he is, but Brad, so, Brad Scott is also, he can also play favourites, as the North posters will tell you. Sure. But ad, ad, ad nauseum if you listen to him. Well, he had no problem clipping Stringer at the start of the year. So, uh, I, you know, if we're selling hope, <laughs> um, yeah. There's generally. a bit of a difference between this. There's a bit of a difference between clipping a Jake Stringer, who's probably not going to be there when we're dominating, a bloke that. You know, ninety percent of the football community thinks turns up overweight, and and clipping Harry Jones, who is at the moment our great white hope as a forward, because we really don't have any other young forwards coming on. That's just my opinion, but yeah. Anyway, yeah, Harry, move on. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I feel like that's slightly conspiratorial, but we'll move on anyway. We'll talk about the midfield briefly, just because one thing I've noticed over the first years is a far better balance of defence versus attack, of inside versus outside. I think. The, the we I talked about it briefly with Kip last week that Setterfield's inclusion is sort of the tide that lifts all boats in the moment in the sense that all of a sudden guys aren't playing outside of their roles. So we don't have Parrish or Shield playing the the blocking type defensive midfielder. You know, guys like Shield and Merritt are able to get on the run a bit more and Parrish is a bit more of that inside accumulator and Setterfield's doing the manning up and the defensive grunt work and winning a fair bit of footy at the moment. Joe Caldwell's a rotation. It just feels like with that one inclusion, not saying Setterfield's, you know, a, an all-Australian type, but just that role indicates that, you know, the midfield at least seems to be a bit more balanced as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I'll put my hand up and say that I was wrong about Will Setterfield. I think I said last year that he felt like a bit of a captain's pick from Dodoro because... Dodora had chased him, um, you know, a couple of years earlier and had been rejected and it, it sort of felt like he was just trying to correct a past miss. Turns out Will Setterfield is exactly what we needed. And, and uh, the, I suppose the irony in that is is that we've been screaming for a big body midfield for how long? And, you know, Will's about the only one that, apart from Josh Dunkley, who I don't think it was ever going to be able to come to us, Will's sort of the only one that, that Adrian's ever shown any interest in. And it turns out that, you know, put a big, big, big body midfield in there and everyone um, everyone stands taller. I, you did mention Jai Caldwell, and I do think that he is probably being missed a little bit in this mm. um, because he's he's not getting a lot of the, the ball, so he's not getting the, the twenty five, the twenty, the twenty five touches that you know 
Darcy and and Will and, and Zach and 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 Dylan Shields is, is getting. But if you look at purely from a defensive side of things, I think he laid the second most tackles behind Will on 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 the day. So he's definitely putting that pressure in there as well. So I think adding Will in there has released Darcy and, and Zach and Dylan offensively, but it also means that Jai is able to sort of play second fiddle defensively, if that makes sense. So he's yep. not he's not expected to be the man. He's got a little bit of support. And to be honest, I'm pretty excited to see what Ben Hobbs does once once he's in this team now, because I think last year at times we were relying on Cal- on, on Caldwell and Hobbs to be the be the defensive bulls. And it was a big ask to get Ben Hobbs to do that his first year. So I'm, I'm pretty curious to see how he goes. I will just say, though, I have read a lot on the board about how we're going to struggle to fit all these blokes in the midfield and this and that and everything else. Can we can we just remember that, you know, three weeks ago before the season started, we were we got belted by Secilda and, and I was one of them. And I'm still not convinced that we've turned the corner completely. But there was still a lot of concern about our midfield. So, so a win against Hawthorne, a win against the Suns, as you sort of alluded to earlier, is not it's not mission accomplished. So so I don't I just feel like I feel like maybe people have forgotten that it was only about three weeks ago when we were saying that we just don't know how we were going to find if everyone was going to come on in the midfield. Now all of a sudden we've played two pretty average teams, played them pretty well, admittedly. But it yeah, I don't know. I feel like maybe we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. I think someone said earlier, I read earlier today that you know we should get let Darcy Parish go because you know that way we've got more room in our midfield, which is just nuts i mean yeah it's just crazy talk two games into the season yeah (laughs) there's a fair bit in there i'll address what i think i need to because i think he covered it pretty well i think jai is clearly the rotation for will in the in the midfield so um setterfield sort of comes out for a break and jai becomes a defensive midfielder as you indicated it's just a clear role for Caldwell to get midfield time. I think last year, Hobbs and Caldwell and Perkins were unsure where they stood in terms of the midfield pecking order. Um, there was so much in flux last year. And so I think having defined roles for them to step into and give them clear avenues to midfield time, Jai just seems like he's much more decisive in how he's playing. There was a couple of times where it wasn't in contest, but it was in clearance, it was outside in the contest and Jai Caldwell just body lined a couple of possessions and made the Gold Coast guys look soft. And that's just what, you know, when it was coming out in the draft, that was his shtick was that he was this aggressive, athletic, physical midfielder. And you're starting to see that come out uh, with a clearly defined role. I feel we'll get to Ben Hobbs later. I'm not, I I feel like if you have too many midfielders in non-midfield positions, you lose the fluidity of your team. But I don't, if, Hobbs is in our best 22. You find a place to put him, but we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Overall, over the course of the game, just some stats in case people were just wanting to understand. So we had 40, almost 50 more disposals in the Gold Coast year, actually even for kicks, but it was a forward handball that sent, tended to get them. Even for inside 50s, um, which was interesting, the disposal efficiency Gold Coast were horrendous. It'll be interesting to see what we do with the Ruck this week because Andrew Phillips, I think, it's less about what flip stats are and more what he does for Draper in the sense that you just get a fit firing Draper whenever he's in the ruck and he's not exhausted and, and sort of dragging his tail late in quarters, which is sort of what we were getting last year. Other than that, was there anything really specific about the game that you thought was worth mentioning? Oh, Look, I thought their ability to transition the ball from end to end at times was 
a little bit frustrating. There was an incident there, and it was in the third quarter, third quarter, second quarter, sorry, second quarter, and Dylan Shield gave away that free kick as they kicked in. So he chopped that bloke's arms and they, they got they got that free kick. And, and, and look, it probably took a good 40 seconds for the ball to get back to the Gold Coast player because they kicked it away and, and you know, like the ground, I had to bring it back and all this. As, as it happens, when a free kick's paid, no one knows what the hell's going on. And then... <laughs> It took them. It took them about three possessions to move from thirty meters on our goal to their fifty, and I was just I, I I was baffled because you know forty seconds a day fell is a long time. How how did we not set up? So I think our defensive pressure is really good. I think our midfield zone is really good, but there is still clearly room for improvement um, in incidents like that. Because if that was a dare I say it, a Collingwood or a Carlton. Mm. They would take it further than the. They would take it further than the fifty because you're right. Gold Coast's disposal going into their forward line was horrible. Yeah, you know they they tied the inside fifties with us, but their disposal was just shocking. If that was a good team, they they would have made us pay. Um, yeah. So yeah, look, really good, really good. But there there is definitely still some moments where we lapse. Yeah, and I think for me, like if we're gonna take learnings, if I can borrow something from John Worsfold, um, out of this game. Um, I think it's the fact that against both Hawthorne and against Gold Coast, we had significant lapses where we let what were probably going to be poor teams go on significant runs. So we let Hawthorne kick four straight goals towards the end of that first quarter against Hawthorne. And then there were two streaks of about four goals in a row for the Gold Coast, or at least you know four and five or three and four goals for the Gold Coast. You have those stretches against Collingwood, against Geelong, like you said. It's not three or four goals. It's five or six, and you're out of the game, like, in an instant. So uh, you're a young team. The next stage is, okay, you do this well in points or in stages. Let's do it for entire quarters and not have those 10-minute lapses that we tend to do, to, particularly at the end of the quarters, we did um, again end of the first and end of the third against the Gold Coast. Now we'll, we'll do some quick fire sort of like it, don't like it questions, just to to touch off everything else in this game. We want to touch off before we do a preview of the game against St Kilda. Bonds, did you want to start off? Brandon Zerk Thatcher is the most improved player in the comp. I think I like that. Do you I, like that? I don't like that. He's certainly the most improved player. On our list, who's would... improved more than him? <laughs> Off the top of my head, give me give me a name. <laughs> yep. I think Nick Takos has gone from rising star to potential oh. Brownlow winner, and yeah, you can get off it. Nick Takos was a gun last year. Yeah, but he wasn't. He wasn't all Australia. He wasn't Brownlow medal contender last year. He made the All Australian side, didn't he? I don't think he did. He made the squad. Nah, I don't agree with that one. Give us another player. That's terrible. He's gone from he's gone from he's gone from gun gun to gun to just slightly better than gun. That's not good. Because Zerk's gone from average to bloody good. Luke Davies he's gone up more levels Luke, than Dacos. Luke, da- Luke Davies Uniac is one. I think that uh, look. I'd have to look at it further, but I think he's certainly terrible. <laughs> okay, all right, whatever. But I, I think I think he's certainly the best. Um, <laughs> Almost improved player on our list. I think there's a couple more that might ever say the ones I mentioned, but the way he's turned into such a solid key defender in terms of the intercepts, everyone but Bruno V can apparently see it. Um, but uh, I think, yeah, 
Probably not the most in the comp, but certainly the best at Essendon. I'll go to you now, Bonds. Davis, you and Jack Hang on, let's just have a look. Oh, here we go. He hasn't improved that much either. Nah, terrible. And I'll be <laughs> honest, I haven't watched enough footy to know the other uh, the other team, so I'm just going to go with that, that he is the best player in the comp, and you just gave me two horrible examples, Briz. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. Um, hey, I, I told you I was spoiling for a fight, so don't, I, don't blame I, me for coming to the party. All right. <laughs> The beginning of the end has come for Dyson Heppel. Like it, don't like it. No, nah, it has. Absolutely. No, nah, it absolutely has. And, and look, I have defended Dyson more than anyone. I've defended him relentlessly on this podcast. But the time has... And look, the, the thing is, right, he only probably had two or three bad, actual, actually bad moments on the weekend. He actually only had two or three. Now, and the problem is everyone seems to be acting like all, all 14 of his disposals were, were bad. But that one where he held the ball up, and I think it was Mega Badamus who, who mentioned it on the board, you know, he he had players out in the forward line and he just held the ball and, and then just had nowhere to go. The handball that he missed to Setterfield, Perkins, I don't know, one of them, you know, also also not great. So So it's sad, but I think the time has come. But I actually think it's also a little bit pleasing because... We don't need him. We needed him last year. So we still needed Dyson last year to win games. People don't want to real don't people don't want to admit it. They don't want to realize that last year he was actually still probably in our top ten to fifteen players. He's not anymore. And that's not a bad thing from a club point of view. Yeah, I I, I take issue with you saying you've you've defended him more than anyone. Um I, I would like to say that on last week's podcast I declared I was probably the last person left on Heppel Island. Uh, I'm, I regret to inform that the island has now been subsumed by global warming. Uh, sand erosion has resulted in the island no longer being there. But yeah, unfortunately, I think you know the mind is willing, but the body is shot, which is probably the worst place you can be as a as a professional footballer. Uh, I'll give you the ball uh, now, Bonds. Uh, well, I mean this one. Well, yeah, I mean this one. I think is is related to the Heppel one, isn't it? In that, that Ben Hobbs is too good for the VFL because I just I just think the absolute easiest swap we could possibly make is Heppel out Hobbs in. Uh, I disagree. Um, Hobbs probably is too good for VFL, so I like that. Um, I don't like that he's an automatic inclusion in the team um, if everyone's fit and firing. So I think the easy swap for this week, and we'll get to this in the possible changes, is that I think Langford to wing and then Wiedemann to forward is probably the straightforward swap. But considering how Langford played on the weekend... Did we not just say at the start of the podcast his best position is forward? We did say that, and I agree with you, but I'm trying to think of what the coaches are going to do. And they started Langford as a defender this year. So I'm not putting... bring Hobbs in and leave (laughs) Langford forward. Okay, I like that he's too good for the VFL. I don't like that he's an automatic inclusion this week. And final like it, don't like it for this week. I have a feeling I know which way you're going to lean on this one. There is a jack, there is a stringer shaped hole in our forward line this week versus St Kilda. Which way? Which way do you reckon I'm going to lean? I reckon you're pro stringer. Oh, look, I am very pro stringer, but there is not a Jake Stringer hole in our forward line if ah. Kyle Langford is playing forward. Because, <laughs> okay. Because the rea- I mean, the reality is our forward line has functioned without him, and and. He will come back in and he will play his role and, and he will push Kyle Langford out of the forward line and he will push Archie Perkins out of the forward line and, and Archie may end up taking Heppel's role instead of Ben Hobbs in. But our forward line is operated without him. So, you know, 
he's to me he's not the same as Peter Wright because we need a big marking target, someone that actually clunks marks as opposed to run sixteen Ks and doesn't actually get his hands on the ball. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, there's a bit of a difference there. But look, Jake will make us a better team because he is clearly in our best twenty-two when fit. I just think that life without Jake Stringer looks a bit more rosier now with Alwyn Davy, Joe Menzies, and 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 Archie playing that that role as opposed to what it did last year when it was really, you know, Jake Stringer or, or not much else. And I mean Nick Martin's another one. Plays mm. plays that sort of half forward line role. So Yeah, look, so I think you're writing that Jake Automate comes back in, but I don't like that he, there's a claim that we need him, necessarily need him. I don't think he's straight in. I'd give him another week. He only played three quarters against GWS in the BFL. I would rather give him a, a full week, a full game this week in the BFL. 75,000 at the MCG. It's Jake Stringers. It's time to shine. Yeah, I would rather bring him in for a full game of against GWS next week at AFL level as a as a sort of warm-up for Melbourne Collingwood the two weeks after that, which I think are the greater priority. But... We've just 75,000 at the MCG. Jake Stringer will kick six goals. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll keep you to that. But um, a quick preview for the St Kilda game. We've already talked about changes. I, I tend to think it's going to um, – because it's it's meant to be a bit wet on the weekend that we might not go as tall as people expect. I think if Wiedemann is fit, he probably comes in. If not, I think it's an interesting discussion um, about whether you just keep the forward line as it was and have more of a, a ground-level presence. The big one will be whether Zerk Thatcher gets up. Um, if Zerk Thatcher doesn't, it'll be interesting to see how a backline forms up. Kane Baldwin, probably the, the lifelike replacement, but there might be a chance that, because St Kilda don't play a tall forward line themselves, that we just sort of shuffle Laverde, Kelly and Ridley up one and bring in a running type. What do you think? Yeah, look, I think Ridley's probably going to have to go to King anyway. Yeah. Um, oh, King's uh, not playing, is he? King's on his shoulder. Oh no, that's right. He's in, that's right. He's injured. What am I talking about? Bloody hell! God. Yeah. Um. Right. No. Scrap that. He doesn't have to play. Yeah. You're right. They don't have that tall bloke because King's not there. That's what I was trying to get at. Um. Jeez. <laughs> um. Yeah. You're right. They don't have. They don't really play that tall. So you know, if Zerk Thatcher goes down, we could probably survive without bringing in Baldwin. But I would. <laughs> Yeah, look, I'd probably still bring in Baldwin just to see what he's got. I, I, I thought he played it well in that that last half of the, or the last quarter of that practice game against St Kilda. But yeah, I mean, if Zerk Thatcher's out, then you probably have got um, Nick Hind, who had forty two disposals. I, I know you don't rate the GWS game for obvious reasons. You, you're not wrong, but you can still only beat who who's put in front of you. Yeah. Um. So Nick Hind probably comes in. Um. Up the other end, look. I get that Harrison Jones probably isn't going to be dropped. Um, if Weedman comes in, I would be dropping Jones because I don't think Draper can go one-on-one with Marshall. Mm. And I don't think we should go tall because as you alluded to, it's going to be wet. So if, if, if we're going to make a change there, it would be Jones out, Weedman in. But if not, then we'd probably stay the same way unless they really want to try and bring Boss in somehow. But yeah, we'll wait and see. Yeah, it's interesting because their forward line on the weekend was... Um, Anthony Caminiti, who's a young guy, um, he's 196. But then otherwise, it's Zane Cordy at 192 and Mateus Philippou, who, according to Saints fan, it's the second coming of Anthony Kudafidis, uh, who's at 190 himself. So, you know, you would think if Zerk Thatcher goes down, maybe Laverde goes to Caminiti, 
Kelly to Philippu and Cordy uh, gets taken by Ridley, you're probably well covered. They don't they don't carry the the other interesting thing is they don't really carry a second ruck. So if you're gonna drop a second ruck this game, it's probably the one to do it. But you're right, going one out against Marshall is going to be tight. That's why they don't carry a second ruck because Rowan Marshall is that good. And, yeah. and just quietly, I have read a lot about how um Ross Lyon's game plan style is uh has changed and he's not the bloke he was and he does a lot more attacking. They still haven't cracked 100 points this year. They still only scored 67 points in their first game. They scored 92 last week, but, you know, they they sort of really, I don't think, ever looked like an exciting side. Ross's dull, boring defensive style of football is back, and that's what we're going to witness on Saturday night, and it's going to be a real litmus test to see how this, this group stands up. Yeah, they haven't got the cattle. Their, their injury list looks like, you know, the classified and the... It, newspaper it does. at the moment, but it does. Look, you're right. So you know it, they are purely system at the moment, and it's a testament to what system can do. But it'll be interesting to see on the expanses of the MCG, probably the biggest ground, uh, much bigger than Eddie had uh, or Marvel, whatever it is now, and significantly bigger than Optus Stadium, which is where they play against Fremantle. How that zone locks out, because oh, I tend to think with Jack Steele, they, they played they played Fremantle at Marvel, mate. I thought they okay. No, I take that back. I thought they Ed, played Ed Sheeran concert in Perth. There was no games oh, in round one. That's right. Okay, scratch that. So they 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 played at Marvel, and so that's a much smaller ground. It'll be interesting to see how the zone works on a bigger ground. And no, that they're lacking a lot of their runners, and so if we can match them on the inside, which seems to be their strength, I think we're every shot at beating them. Um, if we can turn it not into an, a yo-yo, because you'll never do that against Ross Lyon, but. Um, at least get some flow in the game. I, I'm not sure they have the cattle to go with us. But noting all of that, we're just about out of time. Uh, Bonds, it's great to see you again. It's great to have you on after a win the first of the season. Before you tap out, what do you think uh, is going to be the result this weekend? Oh, look, I, I mean, I'll tip Essendon without any confidence at all. They are going to, I mean, as you said, they, are, they do have a lot of outs, but at the end of the day, you know, Ross Lyon is all about system. He, he's the ultimate one planking one plank goes, just replace it with another. And that's what St Kilda were under him previously. That's what they're going to become under him again, whether or not that's good enough to win a flag. We'll wait and see. But, you know, I think they're going to be a very dangerous team. Yeah, I'm tipping the Bombers. I think about three goals if we win. Um, I think it'll just be enough. But um, it'll be a tight one to see for the Saints 150th. So that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. Recommend to all your Bomber fans. Uh, good luck for this weekend. Go Bombers. <laughs>